The Future Sport Podcast is brought to you by 3Advance, developers of sports tech apps that are AI-powered and UX-focused. So if you're looking to create some apps for your startup or your sports biz calls for some artificial or business intelligence, you should check out 3Advance. They're incredible. Go to 3Advance.com. That's the number 3Advance.com. Empire. When everything is on the up and up, you can do amazing things. And something that I've noticed with the very best coaches is that they are able to understand the right words to say to a player and get the player to feel and do, you know, what what we think is the most efficient thing for the player to do. That's Jimmy Buffy. He's the former senior analyst of the Los Angeles Dodgers, and he's hoping modern training beats sign stealing any day of the week. This is the Future Sport Podcast. I'm Bram Weinstein. Yes, spring training has an interesting drumbeat of trash cans thanks to a massive scandal involving the Houston Astros. Jimmy Buffy was working for the organization that lost in that now controversial 2017 World Series. And a warning here, we did not discuss the cheating scandal, but we focused more on his work and how high-level teams train. And we'll get into that in a bit. Sports fans are resilient. They like the games even if the outcomes are somewhat in question. And the future of not missing anything comes from Will Anderson, who's trying to turn concessions into an Uber Eats experience with his company, FanFood. But first, the future is now. If you think esports is not in the big time, you need to check the contracts of the biggest names in the game. Shannon Liao from CNN Business joins us now. Hey, Shannon, how are you? I'm great. How are you, bro? Great. I've, boy, things have really changed in this space. Um, what are you learning about the biggest stars out there in the world that are taking part in esports? Mm-hmm. Right. So the biggest stars in esports and in video games, uh, they are able to make tens of millions of dollars being offered by uh, platforms like Amazon's Twitch, Microsoft's Mixer, Google's YouTube, and Facebook Gaming. Uh, just to attract them to sign exclusive contracts with the platforms to stream there for you know hours per week and months. Um, so how has this happened so quickly that their value has jumped so exponentially? Right, so I think it really started off with Ninja, uh, this famous Fortnite Twitch streamer who's now on Microsoft's Mixer, and how he kind of made video games more mainstream and more well-known and he always dyes his hair very crazy color so he's very recognizable and he even went on you know mainstream talk shows like Ellen and he's really made uh, the idea of being a video game star more palatable to the general public and through his brand deals with Adidas or Red Bull he's actually made lots of money and I think he made millions um, in 2018 and also 2019 and so it started with him uh, and how Mixer, you know, signed an exclusive contract with him to stream on there for around 20 to $30 million uh, over the course of a few years. Um, and because of that exclusive deal that he has with Mixer, then other stars 
who saw that, they realized it was possible, and others started to jump ship from Twitch as well, and it's become more of a talent grab and almost like a new streaming war. You know, what's interesting about it too is I don't think we know because there's such a large pool of people who play these games at this high level. I don't think we know which ones are going to have longevity, right? So they're, they're really making some investments in people and they're not certain that they're going to be as competitive in the long term as, say, a basketball player or a football player. That's right. Some of the analysts I've spoken to have described this sort of as um, the perfect moment for these streamers and content creators to jump ship because right now they are highly valued by the market. Um, but you know that might not be the case in a few years. And it's also very demanding on them to stream for that many hours per day and per week, and it might not be sustainable in the long run. Um, so they signed on to these salaries that will definitely help them out but the platforms that are paying for them you know they're backed by these giant tech companies that probably won't be so affected if you know it's almost like a drop in the bucket for them to give out tens of millions of dollars um do the tech companies that are investing in the gamers themselves do do they see them as brand marketing people like ninja where they are selling other product through their platforms ancillary to just getting people to watch the events mm -hmm. yeah brand deals are definitely a huge part of monetizing stars but i think in the case of facebook gaming uh youtube and mixer i think right now their focus might be on just building up the platforms and getting their name out there to be established as you know another live streaming platform that you could turn to for watching games rather than twitch which is the kind of the king of the industry right now. And so for those platforms, it's more important to establish themselves as a place that there's lots of content to turn to, um, rather than a place where you don't recognize any of the stars. Uh, but definitely brand deals are on the table and they can also be in ads and you know a lot of different sponsorship details um, uh, going forward. It is the modern gold rush. Shannon Liao from CNN Business, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Up next, Jimmy Buffy, former senior analyst of the LA Dodgers and the owner of Reboot Motion on the highest level performers reaching their peak. This is the Future Sport Podcast. Our guest this week is Jimmy Buffy. He's a former senior analyst for the Los Angeles Dodgers with a deep background in biomechanics, and his new venture is called Reboot Motion. Thanks for being here, Jimmy. Yeah, thanks so much for having me, Bram. Um, I'll get into your new company in a bit, but I do want to start with the Dodgers. Sure. You were recently with them. Um, could you kind of describe yep. what your role was with the team? Yeah, uh, with the Dodgers, I was more or less the team's uh, lead sort of physics-based pitching analyst. Um, I have a background in mechanical and aerospace engineering and also uh, a background in biomechanics. So I spent a lot of time analyzing the flight of the baseball, um, helping pitchers optimize, you know, like how their pitches move, things like that. And um, also a lot of time analyzing how their bodies move. So, you know, looking at the biomechanics and the physics of that 
and helping them throw harder and try to avoid injury too, basically by analyzing how they move. Um, can you kind of talk about, let's start with the injury part for a moment and the attempt sure. to avoid it, obviously. Um, yep. How is how are people viewing avoiding injury differently than they did in years past? Differently. So what, what do you, what do you, um, what do you mean by differently? So you perceive, well, I perceive that the types of training methods that you are talking about are still kind of mm-hmm. new, that these are new concepts and maybe they aren't, and maybe they've been there all along, but they feel like they are. So is that accurate? Um, yeah, I think so. I think people are, embracing um let's see maybe more aggressive forms of training and i think people are also potentially starting to accept that it's really hard to uh predict and avoid injury and so maybe being a little less concerned with it but then also understanding the trade-off where if you you can train aggressively as long as you train the right way um i think maybe that's part of what you're perceiving is people are learning more and more how to train more efficiently, which then allows you to be more aggressive with things like uh, weighted balls, which are becoming more and more popular. Um, But I think the important thing is that you train the right way. Can you talk about that um, and be specific if you can in how a pitcher, let's start with a pitcher, would train more efficiently than they did in the past? Yeah. So I think it all comes, comes down to essentially, you know, balancing and and modulating dosage um for i guess lack of a better term terminology you know like you don't it's you know the way i like to think about it is if you're trying to like have a stronger and a better bench press you don't immediately go from putting 100 pounds on the bar to putting 300 pounds on the bar in a day or a week you know you slowly progress your way up to those 300 pounds and you give yourself adequate rest so I think we're learning more and more how to modulate the dosage of some of these more aggressive training regimens where, you know, you train really aggressively, you throw heavier balls, you do these things, but then you also ramp up slowly and you also give yourself adequate rest. And both of these things allow you to use these training implements more effectively and, and, and in a safer way. What do weighted balls do? How, do, how does that help? Yeah, I think they I think they help in a <clears throat> in several different ways. Um, I think the first and most obvious way is just the simple, you know, tissue hypertrophy. You know, like you put a little bit of extra stress on your tissue, and your tissue gets stronger. Um, and this this effect occurs across all tissues. You know, like ligaments, bones, muscles. I mean, like <clears throat> the ramp up has to be different for each one of these tissues, but you know, hypertrophy occurs in all of these tissues. Um, the other way, though, is I think they help you move more efficiently because when you have uh, and you use a heavier implement, you really have to, you really feel the inefficiencies. You know, if, you're, if your elbow starts to extend too soon with a with heavier implement, you feel that um, and it's, it's better feedback for you as you're looking to, you know, move your arm more efficiently. Is it hard to get a pitcher or, or hitter, for that matter, if they, if they need adjustments mm-hmm. in the way that they move as well? Is it hard after you, you, you teach them this lesson, is it hard to implement mm-hmm. it? Is it hard for them to do it? You mean, so do you mean like the teaching of the drill versus performing of the drill? Or do you mean 
you know, the drill both. versus the game. Yeah, the bo- uh, both. I, I think, like, like at one point, for me, I sit back and I go, instincts take over at some point for, right, for right. big-time athletes, specifically when they're performing, performing. So if you're talking to them about moving differently to help them right, in performance, right. is it hard to actually literally translate it in a game? Yeah, I mean, I think this is where, like, the incredible coaches – uh, you know, distinguish themselves and differentiate themselves is something that, you know, I spent a lot of time in my job. It's been a very cool, like, past four years with the Dodgers. I've got to spend, you know, almost equal parts behind the computer analyzing things and also on the field, like, supporting the coaches and the players. And something that I've noticed with the very best coaches is that they are able to understand the right words to say to a player to get the player to feel and do, you know, what <clears throat> what we think is the most efficient thing for the player to do. And the interesting thing is that that could be different. Like if you're trying to teach, you know, 10 players the same exact movement, the thing that you say to each of those 10 players could be different based on the player's experience, based on the player's past. And I think this is what distinguishes a really, really, really good coach is being able to understand what will work for each player. Um, You know, like a a phrase that we've used a lot is, you know, the feel versus real. Yeah. And sometimes what you need to tell the player that the player needs to feel is different than what actually needs to happen. But, you know, maybe the thing that the player feels helps make that thing happen, even though it might not be the thing that happens. Like, I I think, like, maybe... A, a tangible example of this, you know, in the hitting world, there's a lot of like, we need a positive attack angle, but we need to swing down on the ball, all of these things. And I think part of the issue is that when you tell a player, you know, certain players, when you tell a player they need to swing down on the ball, they end up creating a positive attack angle. But the thing that they feel is swinging down on the ball, which obviously are two different things, but. You know, it's what you tell the player gets them to do the thing that you actually want them to do. I, I'm going to ask you a question you literally cannot answer, but but you guys are such a, okay. a, a curious case of it because you have yeah. the reigning yeah, MVP. Sure. The reigning MVP is on this uh-huh. team. You've had a multiple yeah. Cy Young winner that is on this team. Uh-huh. You have arguably best staff, best starting pitching, yeah. you know, like argue 106 yeah, yeah. win team from this year. Um, how much of that is talent? How much of that is coaching? How much of that is, is what you guys are doing behind the scenes to help them get better? <laughs> you said it yourself. I don't know if I can answer it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's really, really hard <clears throat> to obviously quantify each of these things. Um, but I do think that they're all involved. You know, like we spend a lot, a lot of time, you know, like we have a lot of players on this team that were developed in the Dodger farm system. Um, and we spend a lot of time, you know, like analyzing how they move and analyzing what the best approach would be. Um, but I also think we have absolutely incredible coaches and we also have a massive baseball operations staff that spends so many hours figuring out the strategy each week. You know, I mean, I would like to think that it's equal parts of all of those things, but you know, obviously it's really hard to specifically quantify. Um, you know, you know, it's funny the the big term right now in the NBA is yeah. load management. People are talking about right, load right. management. And I, I think baseball has yep. been doing this for a long time that they've yep. said, Pitchers can only go this certain amount. 
you know, and but right. no one's made a big deal of it. When you hear load management, knowing what you do and right. what your background is, do you kind of have a general better understanding of, of why that's necessary for athletes? Yeah, for sure. I mean, it relates to what we talked about earlier with implementing aggressive training, like weighted ball training. And honestly, like this was when I first started with the Dodgers, this was one of the very first things that one of the very first projects that I worked on with a bunch of our coaches was, you know, analyzing the frequency of how, how often pitchers pitch and when they're going from zero to a full workload, how do we progress that workload? I mean, I just think it's an incredibly, incredibly important thing for athletes and something that's also like really hard to do and really easy to mess up because I think the easy thing to do is if people get hurt um, or you're scared, like the easy thing to do is just dial it back, do less, right? Like if you do something that gets you hurt, like the logical and intuitive thing to do is to do less of that thing. Um, but I think the harder thing to do, but something that I've really focused on, we really focused on with the Dodgers is instead of doing less, let's just progress in the right way and a safe way so that you know, pitchers can actually do more, but do more safely, you know, train the tissues such that they can withstand the load that we want them to withstand. I mean, it's, it's, I mean, it's a complicated topic because yeah, for the, yeah, for, sure. for the NBA, they're sitting here looking at this and they're going, yeah, yeah but the customers paid to see these specific people. Yeah. Right. It's, right. it's really, it's complicated, but I, the more I talk to people in your realm, it seems to make sense with the way that they are training in a, in a modern way that, that playing 82 games sometimes isn't the right thing to do for their bodies. Yeah. I mean, like, I think like with baseball, with the NBA, with sports in general, like, and I'm, people talk about this, but with these more aggressive training regimens and players are just getting bigger, stronger, fat, they run faster, they jump higher you know, baseball pitching velocity has gone up and up and up. So in, in like pretty much all sports, you know, like the load that we are asking the players to withstand is going higher and higher and higher. And with that, you know, I think a necessary part of that is also like implementing better and better rest, you know, like more better regimens. Like I think like, <clears throat> You know, maybe 20 years ago, 30 years ago, maybe the game was played differently. Pitchers weren't throwing as hard, and therefore it was easier to, you know, throw every day or play every single day. But now, like, players are jumping higher, pitchers are throwing harder, which puts a greater toll on your body, and therefore, you know, you have to think about the rest a little bit more. So, yeah, I mean, maybe, like, you know, I have I don't really think about the NBA too much, although yeah. with my new company, I, I hope to at some point. <laughs> yeah. But... But, you know, that's sort of the thing, the first thing that comes to mind is, like, <clears throat> the players have gotten stronger and faster and the game has changed. So maybe the schedule also needs to adjust to reflect, you know, the change in the way the game is played and the change in the way the players operate. Yeah, well, one more thing on this. I don't know if you have any experience working with young athletes, but but LeBron James yeah. came out and said AAU is pushing young yeah. kids and their bodies way too hard. We've heard this in baseball for years, yeah. that, that the baseball kids yeah, yeah. at a young age are being pushed way too hard and arm injuries are occurring um, mm -hmm. at a young age. Yeah. Um, do, do you have any sense of, of what's going on in youth sports that potentially could be something that could help them avoid some of this stuff? Yeah, I mean, I have not 
to, to date spent much time on youth sports, but a big part of the reason why I wanted to start my own company was that I could focus more on youth athletes because, I mean, I know for me personally, playing sports my whole childhood was like an imperative part of my development. You know, I think sports teach teamwork, leadership, um, dealing with failure, all of these things. So, you know, I really, really do want to like get into this realm and help in youth sports. Um, and I do think it's really important because something that, you know, I've looked at is, and I don't think it's a fault of like youth coaches necessarily, but you know, a lot, a lot of these coaches just don't have a lot of training in, you know, physiology and biomechanics. Like I wouldn't expect them to, you know, a lot of them are just mothers and fathers. Right. So, um, I think it's really important for the leagues themselves to help, you know, these people without much experience better, uh, you know, like progress the load on youth pitchers and things like that. So I think that's a big part of the issue just as, you know, youth coaches just unfortunately it's, they don't have time to get the necessary training to keep the players as safe as they could be. Um, let's get to your new company, Reboot Motion. Um, what are you doing there? What's the goal? What are you, what are you trying to accomplish? Uh, yeah, so, you know, I think I mentioned um, my goal. So for the Dodgers for the past four years, you know, I was helping Dodger pitchers move better, move more efficiently so that they could perform better and avoid injury. And I really just, that's what I want to bring to all sports, all players, all levels. Um, the ultimate dream is to build a movement analysis platform where, you know, I'm hoping and I'm seeing that movement data is getting more ubiquitous. Like the camera systems are coming out and measure how you move in a many different ways. Wearable sensors are coming out that measure how you move in many different ways. And my ultimate dream is to build the movement analysis platform that takes in this data and then outputs, you know, actionable training recommendations and, you know, like suggestions for how to improve. And I think the thing that I hope makes what I do different than what's currently out there is, you know, I've spent a lot of time, you know, I have a bachelor's degree in mechanical engineering. I have a PhD in biomechanics. I spent four years, you know, like I said, 50% of my time was on the field with coaches and players. So I hope to really use sort of first principles of physics and physiology to really move from the data to actionable insights that really get at cause and effect. Uh, because I think a big problem with a lot of these products these days is they rely on statistical correlations and machine learning algorithms, which are very sensitive to the data that you used and outliers and things like that. So I really want to use the first principles of physics and physiology that I've learned over the years to actually get at cause and effect to go from data to actionable rec uh, recommendations that actually make the athletes better. Uh, it sounds amazing, actually. It sounds profound. Well, thanks, Brian. Uh, it, I appreciate I, that. It does. Uh, it, and it actually sounds realistic, you know, to be honest. You know, like, I, I think that, that, yeah. that that's there. It's just a matter of yeah. finding the right tech partners, right? Yeah. I mean, that's really, like, the thing that I'm focused on right now is, um, you know, because my expertise is not collecting the data. My expertise is analyzing the data. 
But a big part of the reason why I'm doing this now is because I think that the technology for collecting the data has just sort of been leveling up over the past few years. I mean, I thought about starting this company when I finished my PhD, but the data collection techniques, companies weren't really there yet. So right now, I'm really focused on, you know, talking to these data collection companies and actually trying to see how to form partnerships and, you know, provide a sort of combined solution of collecting data and data analysis. Because the data collection problem is still hard. And, you know, I feel the data analysis problem is still hard. So rather than try to solve both, I'd rather, like, create good partnerships to solve both. It's really cool. I, I wish you a lot of luck with the new company and, and what you're building. We'd love to catch up with you down the road. Yeah, well, thanks so much, Bram. I really appreciate it. Jimmy Buffy is a former senior analyst for the Los Angeles Dodgers and now owns his company, Reboot Motion. Thanks, Jimmy. Thanks so much, Bram. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Up next, Will Anderson of Fan Food, who wants you to have the option to avoid the concession line for good. This is the Future Sport Podcast. So let's take a minute here to thank our friends at 3Advance. These guys are ranked one of the nation's top app developers, but that's not all. They've helped grow a bunch of sports tech startups like Team Builder, T-Box Tour, and In-Game Fantasy. But they're also experts in user experience, cloud APIs, and artificial intelligence. So if you're looking for a dev partner to bring your future sport tech to life, look these guys up. Go to 3advance.com. They're the team to make it happen. At Advance, you will. That's the number 3advance.com. And tell them Future Sport sent you. So I had a fortunate weekend down in Miami, went to the Super Bowl, got to actually attend the game. And the last thing that I would ever want to do while being in attendance is actually get up to go stand in a line to get something, even if I was hungry or thirsty. And Will Anderson from FanFood is trying to change that. He's the co-founder. Hey, Will, how are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me here. Uh, Tell us a little bit about what FanFood does. Sure thing. So... At a high level, uh, and, and I appreciate you kind of leading into this here, uh, but at a live sporting event, there's nothing more frustrating than waiting in line for a cold beer and a hot dog, right? Uh, whether you're at a professional sporting venue, collegiate, or even at the high school level, uh, you know, this issue still remains prominent. So that's where fans would come into play, essentially allowing fans at live sporting events um, and even outside of the sporting vertical to order food and beverages directly from their phone. Uh, requesting it for NC delivery and or express line pickup. So um, how does it work outside of, I clearly get it, you have an app, you're in the stadium, you can order whatever you want to order. What does the stadium need to provide to you in terms of people who are going to be able to deliver this? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, sure thing. And, and great question there. I think ultimately what it comes down to here uh, is really the level of, of buying that we have from our, our venue partners, right? So quickly, I do want to preface this by saying, you know, when it comes to, to mobile ordering, yes, you look at 
uh, everything taking place, you know, outside of the venues, right? So you have the, the Grubhub, um, you know, DoorDash, right? Starbucks pre-ordering. Yeah, Uber Eats. All of these, yeah. these exactly, right? So, yeah. so all of these types of services here, um, yet they have yet to necessarily transition into the live entertainment space. So it's, it's kind of a good precursor to look at the restaurant industry and, and see, um, you know, what trends are happening there uh, to ultimately help us understand what is going to be coming into live entertainment space. Now, to, to answer your question be, beyond that, you know, this is a market that is still being carved out, right? So that is why we provide both options for express pickup and NC delivery. Now, when it comes to the NC delivery component, which, as you can imagine, right, being at the Super Bowl, how great would that be to just have food delivered directly to your seats? You yeah. don't miss any of the action that you paid to see. Uh, so we work directly with these groups uh, to really help identify the model that is best suitable for their venues. So we kind of provide this consultation approach as to uh, what will be most efficient for them. Now, when we're working with these big concessionaires or even the in-house F&B providers, uh, you know, we'll, we'll determine what the amount of labor that would be needed, but also do a, you know, analysis to determine, uh, you know, exactly what they're going to need in order to be profitable off of, you know, working with Fanford here. Uh, so certainly, you know, we don't have to throw anything in their direction that is going to put them in, in a tough position to, uh, you know, meet their quota, right? The, the intent here is to not only enhance the fan experience, but also improve that bottom line for our concessionaires. Now, in some scenarios, uh, you know, we will come in and, and help provide some of that support and, you know, either finding that uh, additional labor that is needed um, and or, again, providing some of those models in place to ensure that they can provide, uh, you know, that the best experience possible, depending on, on what they would like to provide. Now, to take that one step further, we do, in many cases, take this kind of crawl, walk, run approach uh, is what we consider this. So you start off at, you know, a handful of venues, do an express line pickup, right? Or I should say a handful of uh, concession stands, do an express line pickup. Once demand reaches a certain point, uh, then we can explore the NC delivery, knowing that based on uh, the current basket size, uh, having an increase of anywhere from 25 to 30 percent compared to your typical walk-up orders, how many uh, of those orders do we need in order to offset any additional labor that's needed for the, the delivery personnel, right? So, again, these are different things that we look at uh, to help provide some guidance as to how they can move forward by providing this ultimate, you know, fan experience. Yeah, even with, like, the express pickup idea, which I get, like, it's, it's clearly less labor-intensive. You're not asking people to run things out to wherever they are in the stadium. People just run up and grab it. Um, they're still slammed at those concession stands. So mm-hmm. what, what kind of turnaround are you seeing? How quickly can they get these orders fulfilled? So if I just place it, can I just run up, grab it, and run back to my seat? <laughs> it's funny you mention that. You know, at, at times, uh, you know, we've had people early on where, uh, you know, they'll place an order as they're, you know, standing in line um, and, and kind of expect for it to magically appear, right? Yeah. Now, uh, you know, I, I, will, I will say, uh, our typical fulfillment time is around eight minutes for for the express pickup, and that goes across all verticals, pretty synonymous uh, across the board here. Uh, but you know, I think the the way in which this works is our fans place the order right from the comfort of their seats. Now we have a uh, notification system that will enable the fans to understand where their order is in the process of being fulfilled. Right, so their order is initially grabbed. They receive a push notification when it's being processed, but they also receive notification when their order is ready for pickup as well. Uh, So they are notified throughout the entire process. So the intent, right, is to allow them to enjoy the action again that they're they're there to see. Uh, So we want them to remain in their seats. 
uh, enjoy enjoy that action, socialize with their friends, and then just be notified when it's ready. So all they have to do is report to the stand, show their receipt on their phone, grab their order, and they're on their way back to their seat. Yeah, like, don't get me wrong. I want this to work, okay? <laughs> I'm, yeah. I'm your yeah, yeah, P1 yeah. customer here. I go to a lot of games, and the last thing I want to do is stand in the lines really, and miss anything. Right. So um, who are you working with so far? How's it gone so far? It, it's going well. So we're currently at uh, just about 70 venues to date. Uh, but, you know, I, I like to say that we are a flexible platform, right? So, you know, we can operate in a variety of different venues ranging from sports facilities uh, of all levels to hospitals and even drive-in movie theaters, believe it or not. <laughs> uh, so, you know, as you and, you know, everyone, uh, well, for the most part, can imagine just by looking at our name, yes, we are, you know, hyper-focused on sporting venues, uh, and, and really started to be focused on the highest levels when we first uh, initially started pursuing this, both that, you know, to be transparent, we quickly found out that uh, for those to be legitimate opportunities, right, we had to vet an enterprise solution. So really what we did is transition to taking a bottom-up approach, uh, which I think worked out very favorably for us. So uh, to answer your question, uh, in terms of some of the larger venues we're working with today, uh, you know, we're currently with the University of North Carolina, University of Tennessee, uh, Washington State University, um, South Carolina, and a few others there in the mix. Uh, now, in, in terms of the products they are using, right, you have the, yes, NC Delivery Express pickup option for your general admission fans, season ticket holders. But we also uh, are going to be offering, and, and in some cases do currently offer, a suite product as well. So within your premium areas, right, uh, we're kind of streamlining that experience from the initial pre-ordered package to uh, fans that are in there and, and are waiting for their attendant to come and, and take another order, right? Uh, opposed to, you know, poking your head out of the door and trying to wave somebody down. Uh, we're able to streamline that via a kiosk that we are positioning there within these suites. I mean, in the end, I mean, w- what you're telling the venues, too, is that they're going to sell a lot more food and drinks, right? I mean, that's the goal here, right, for them, for them to make it work, too. Right. I mean, that's what it seems like. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Without question. I mean, the the overall intent. Yes. Again, fan experience. Right. Is, is certainly uh, at an all time high in terms of, of the importance. Right. And getting people to come into these venues. But ultimately, yes, in order for this to, to, to work. Right. It is a business there on uh, the concessionaire side as well from the hospital hospitality perspective. Right. So uh, we are, you know, plugging those numbers in and we are finding out that. Not only are we able to increase, uh, you know, their bottom line, but just on a per order basis, again, we are seeing that basket size, you know, increase upwards of 25 to 30 percent on a per order basis. Um, I, I mean, I can't imagine you would do this, but like what Uber did was basically democratize ride sharing. Um, does this work with other fans just helping out other fans where they can just kind of get incentivized to like, I'm already up here. I'll get something for you. <laughs> You know, uh, in terms of that and, and looking at, you know, kind of the, the Uber model as well, right? Or, uh, I mean, yes, I, I think ultimately that, that can work at some point, right? And, and as I kind of alluded to earlier, this is a market that is still being, uh, relatively speaking, carved out within the live entertainment space. So I think once you hit a certain level of traction um, and buy-in from the fans, and I think, quite frankly, that's just a purely an awareness um, perspective there in terms of getting to that point. But once you, I think you reach a certain threshold, uh, what you're speaking to here is certainly a legitimate opportunity, uh, you know, moving forward in terms of how we can fulfill orders quickly. And, you know, if somebody's already getting their food, to, to your point, right, go ahead and grab somebody else's order, deliver it, make a few bucks, and then return to your seat, yeah. your own food, and enjoy the rest of the game. Will Anderson is the co-founder of Fan Food. Thanks.
Hey, appreciate it, Graham. Take care. That will do it for us this week. As always, the future is now. This is the Future Sport Podcast. I'm Graham Weinstein. The Future Sport Podcast is brought to you by 3Advance, developers of sports tech apps that are AI-powered and UX-focused. So if you're looking to create some apps for your startup or your sports biz calls for some artificial or business intelligence, you should check out 3Advance. They're incredible. Go to 3Advance.com. That's the number 3Advance.com.